to James chapter 4. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. By uh, quick announcement, back on the back, there's a, the Take No Glory, the guys who are leading worship for us this morning. Their CDs are on the back. They're always free. If you could wear out a DVD, mine would be worn out by now. I actually have two, one in my car and one in my office. I love to listen to it while I study. So let me encourage you to grab it. It'll be a, be a blessing to you. All right, well, let's pray, and then let's take a look at God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, and I am so blessed, Lord, to just see our children speaking of you. And Lord, the great message that was communicated this morning, that Jesus indeed is alive, that we serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And Lord, I just thank you for that great and awesome truth. May it never grow common in our hearts. Lord, now as we go to your word, we ask that you would be our teacher. You give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. We thank you for your word, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray now that your spirit would send it out to bring about your good work. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're continuing through the letter written by James to the early church. And as we know, if you've been here, and I know we have some visitors, so I will take a moment to review. This was written to the early church that had been scattered through persecution. Because they were being persecuted for their faith, God was bringing about the Great Commission as they were being scattered throughout the land and the gospel was going with them. Now, in the midst of this persecution, there was some heaviness of heart. They were being overwhelmed by their circumstances. Some of them, if you read into the text, it looks like may have even been contemplating walking away from the faith of nothing else, at least keeping their mouths shut. Because as they would proclaim the gospel, so too persecution would come. So James writes this letter, and in this letter it's very practical. It applies to our lives in a great deal, to, a great way today. He's exhorting them In a very clear way. First he exhorts them to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Because trials produce patience. He's encouraging them that yes, you're going through difficulty, but it's not by chance. My encouragement to you here this morning. If you're going through difficulty, and if you're not right now, you will be soon. God is in control, amen? And it doesn't happen by chance. And he's going to use it for his glory if you will but let him. And so the exhortation is to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And then he encourages them as well with temptation, to endure temptation. Trials are brought into our lives, let me make this clear, by God. God allows them to come that through them he might be glorified. Temptation comes from the enemy who wants to get us off track, to get us away from God, to blow our testimony. Well, he says, in trials, count it all joy. God brought it for a reason. Trust him. In temptation, endure temptation. Don't fall for the enemy's trap. Guys, we don't have to respond to the temptation of the enemy. The Bible says, the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And with temptation, he makes the way of escape. And guys, we will never be sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? We should be walking in holiness before Almighty God. So he encourages them to count it all joy in the midst of trials. But then he also encourages them to endure temptation. He then goes on and tells them, to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Boy, how many problems would we get out of if we just did that? Amen? 
You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We ought to use them proportionately, right? We ought to listen, be slow to speak. So often we speak so quickly that we don't run it through the Holy Spirit filter before it comes out of our mouth. Amen? The Bible also then says, he continues and goes on and says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Again, the temptation might have been in persecution to shut it down, to just hide out in my house, to wait for the Lord to come back. Guys, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth, the Bible says. God's not looking for a bunch of lukewarm, undercover Christians. Amen? He didn't save us to be pew potatoes. He didn't save us to hide our faith. He saved us to use us for his glory. He hung on a cross for us. We need to make a stand for him. Amen? And guys, he will empower us by the Holy Spirit to do so. So be doers of the word, not hearers only. He then went on to say, show no partiality. We're not to show favoritism to somebody because they're wealthy or because they have power or because they're in a position where they can help us back. He's telling them in chapter 2 to show, treat everyone with the same love and grace and kindness God has called us to do. He then says, faith without works is dead. Again, we're not saved by our works, but our faith is a faith that works. Amen? And if we've truly been born again, there will be good works. Not a source of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. We then got to chapter 3 last week, and he talked about the power over the tongue. He started by saying, let not many of you be teachers, because with the gift of teaching comes accountability. No doubt at the time there were many jockeying for position, those who wanted to be up in the front. And guys, I tell people all the time, young men ask me, you know, Pastor Dave, I feel called to be a pastor. How do I know if I'm called? I tell them, if you can do anything else, go do it because you're not called. Because if you're called, you can't do anything else. And there, but with that comes a great deal of accountability, a great deal of responsibility to Almighty God. Every word that comes out of your mouth as a teacher, whether you're teaching the adults or you're teaching those precious little children, you will be held accountable for one day. Talked about the tongue being a little member that boasts great things but can defile the whole bodies, our whole body. Our mouths should not pour out blessing and cursing, just like a spring should, cannot and does not pour out bitter and, and clean water at the same time, bitter and sweet water. So too, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You know, we can pretend to be something in our heart, but what comes out of our mouth will give us away. Amen. If we say we're a Christian, but our mouth doesn't show it, we're going to be, have a really poor testimony before the world. And then he ended, and this is what we're going to pick up this week, contrasting the difference between godly and worldly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from the world and the wisdom that comes from God. It was at the end, beginning in verse 13, he talked about the source of wisdom that is self-seeking and envious and boasting and bitter. This wisdom doesn't come from God, but it says in that text, it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And here's the world's counsel. And you're going to hear this all the time. All you got to do is turn on TV and you'll hear it. You deserve better. You deserve more. You're not getting enough. You know, you look at the magazines, us, we, people, I, me, it's all about us, right? I was in the store the other day, and they had lotions. One was called Goddess, the other one was called, I'm going down the list, and it's all, it's this self-worship. One was called Worship Me, a lotion, called Worship Me. I'm thinking that'll be the last thing I ever buy, amen? But here's the point. 
We live in a world today where world's counsel is, you deserve more. Guys, I don't want what I deserve. How about you? What we deserve, oh, I came to hear some kids, I didn't know that, hey, what we deserve is hell fire. Is that true or not? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve hell, but by God's grace, he gives us heaven. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, and grace is giving us what we don't. Praise God for his love, his grace, and his mercy. Ungodly counsel says you deserve more. You ought to elevate yourself. You need to esteem yourself more. And biblical, godly counsel is just the opposite. Not esteem self, deny self. Not lift up self, but praise and honor God alone. One of the problems in the church today is we have way too many celebrities in the church. Way too many celebrities. Guys, there's only one celebrity in the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And we ought not put men on a pedestal. We ought not worship men. We worship Jesus Christ alone. Because he alone is God. He alone is perfect. True wisdom is from above. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's without hypocrisy. Godly wisdom produces peace, worldly wisdom produces strife and envy and self-centeredness, and the root of all worldly wisdom is this, pride. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Guys, you'll know the kind of wisdom that you're hearing is it built up in self-seeking pride or God-seeking glorification? Is it honoring Him or esteeming you? True wisdom comes from God and it teaches us to be humble. Pride of worldly wisdom produces strife with other believers. It pollutes our prayer life. It puts us at war with God. But the peace of godly wisdom the results are come from us submitting to God, drawing near to God, and humbling yourself before God. So if you're a note taker, I know that was a healthy, long introduction, but if you've been here before, you know that's not unusual. All right. I title the message, Does Your Life Reflect Godly or Worldly Wisdom? Does Your Life Reflect Godly or Worldly Wisdom? And here are the points. Lord, if we have time, we'll get through all of them. If not, We'll pick it up next week. Point number one, the pride of worldly wisdom. It produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. It pollutes our prayer life and it puts us at war with God. Point number two, the path to putting pride to death and enjoying true peace with God. We'll talk about three things that bring us back into a place of peace with God. And then time willing, we'll look at the humble character of godly wisdom. The humble character of godly wisdom does not speak evil of its brother, and it does not boast about tomorrow, but seeks only God's will. So, does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? Let's begin by looking at the pride of worldly wisdom. It produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. Let's look at verse 1 of James chapter 4. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Among you, he's talking about among believers. Where are the fights and the striving and the quarrels among Christians? Where do they come from? By the way, we are all one body in Christ. Amen? 
Now, there are many churches meeting all over Santa Cruz, many churches meeting all over this country. Guys, if we have Jesus Christ in common, we have everything in common. It's not about building up Calvary Chapel. It's about building up the kingdom of God. Amen? And so he says, where does this strife come from? You know, the world looks at the church today and mocks us. They look and say, even you Christians can't agree with each other. Why would we want to believe what you believe? And guys, when we argue and fight and have infighting and bicker about secondary issues, it brings harm to the Lord and His name. What causes such quarrels and conflicts between believers, especially in light of what the Bible says? In Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should live together in unity, love, and harmony. But sadly, this is not the case most often or many times. You know, all you need to do is look in the Bible. Cain kills Abel. The first family... One son killed one, the other son. People like to talk about dysfunctional families. Let me give you a better word for it. Sinful families. And guess what? That's all of them. Amen? Too often we want to make a good excuse. Well, I came from a dysfunctional family. You know what? Every one of us did. Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? And instead of making an excuse about you know, our, our environment and our situation, we need to trust that God is greater than any circumstances that we've been brought up in, and He knew about it before the foundation of the world. Amen? And He's a faithful God. But right off the bat, you see Cain killing Abel, you know, Lot quarreling with his uncle Abraham, Absalom all but going to war with his own father, even the disciples arguing over which of them is greatest. This debate and these quarrels have been in the church since the very beginning. Early church disagreements throughout Scripture. The Corinthian church was competing with, other, with each other in public meetings. There was disorder. They were suing each other in court. The Galatian church, believers were biting and devouring one another. In the Ephesian church, Paul had to admonish them to, to walk in spiritual unity. The Philippian church, the women were at odds with each, each other, and Paul implored them to be of the same mind. As we've gone through James, we've seen already there were class wars in chapter 2 over the, between the rich and the poor, and then church fights over positions in the church, many wanting to be leaders. You know, guys, this should not be so, but sadly it is. But why is it? Why is it that in the church, why is it among born-again new creations in Christ, is there, are these wars, this battling, this bickering going on? What is the source of this division among Christians, among brothers and sisters in Christ? Here's what it says, second part of the verse. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? The source of division is not the Holy Spirit it's our flesh. It's when we get carnal. It's when we have our own motivation. It's when we walk outside of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We start striving for our own desires, our own will, our own goals. Then there comes division in the church. Because you know what? What does the spirit and the flesh have in common? We need to put the flesh to death, but sadly, too often, we want to stick up for our rights because instead of humbly submitting ourselves to God and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit we strive in the flesh we walk in lust and envy and pride instead of humility brokenness and peace 
It says in Galatians 5, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Guys, we need to put the flesh to death every single day. Amen? And he's not, he won't die easy till we get rid of these bodies. Do you understand when you were born again, you became a new creation in Christ, and you are, you know, your spirit changed. But you know what? You're still dragging around this dead body. Amen? And this body has desires that are contrary to those of the spirit. And we must put the flesh to death. The Bible says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can only walk in one. It says in Romans, for what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. This is Paul. Verse 18 of Romans 7 says, For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And then later he says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing it to captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The conflict between believers comes as we pridefully walk in the flesh. Let me say this. No two believers walking in the power of the Holy Spirit should have a conflict about anything. Amen? Let me say this also. If you're married, and you're married to a Christian, there is nothing under the sun that should cause that marriage to end in divorce. Oh, Pastor Dave, I didn't come for that. I came to see my nephew. Here's the point. God created marriage, amen? I am always baffled when two people proclaiming to be Christians get a divorce. I don't get it. You know why? Somebody's in their flesh, if not both people. Amen? If we walk in the Spirit, there should not be conflict. It's only when we rise up in our flesh, when our pride gets in the way, when we become envious and self-centered, and who do you think you are treating me that way? You find out, the Bible says you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And you find out who the servants are by how we respond when someone treats us like one. Amen? I've got a heart of a servant. What does that guy think I am, a servant? Exactly. That's exactly what we are. That's what God's called us to be. Amen? When you go to work tomorrow, remember, you're a servant for the king, and it ought to reflect in the way you do your job. Do your job in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus' name. That other people look at you and go, what is up with you? You know what? Jesus is what's up with me. Amen? Make it a testimony, an opportunity to point others to Jesus Christ. The word desires there is hedonism, a desire for worldly pleasure. And your members, again, is speaking of the flesh. All of the struggles are rooted in the same thing, the pride and self-will of man. As man places the fulfillment of his desires above being faithful to Almighty God and the unity of the body of Christ. You know what? We don't care about unity when we're self-centered. And we don't care about God's name when we're flesh-focused. Guys, may we live lives that honor God and bring unity to the body of Christ. And I, I think it's interesting that James seems more bothered by the selfish spirit and bitterness of the quarrels than whatever it is they're arguing about. Because we don't even know what they're arguing about. He doesn't even say. He doesn't say, oh, they're arguing about, you know, last time's views. Or they're arguing on, you know, do you baptize forward, backward, or sideways? And who's na-? He doesn't say that. What he says is, I am grieved by the spirit in which the arguments come out. Guys, there are essentials of the Christian faith. Jesus Christ is God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is God. One God in three persons. Amen? Jesus is the only way to heaven. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's coming back. Those are the essentials of Christianity. If we can agree on that, we can walk hand in hand. Amen? And too often we look at every side issue and we try to... Guys, there's a reason why there's so many divisions within the church because everybody's got one stake they want to die on instead of dying to ourselves and edifying the name of Jesus Christ. Our attitude can be as offensive as any position that can be held. Verse 2. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. He's saying to them, you lust and do not have. You murder and cannot obtain. Here are the types of desires that lead to conflict. Lust and covetousness. These are fleshly desires to satisfy a fleshly hunger. What is murder? Murder is ultimately anger and animosity carried out to their fullest. So driven by what I want that I'm willing, I will, I'm willing to kill to get it. Now most of us can say to that, to this morning, uh, I've never killed anybody. But then you go to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, if you've had hatred in your heart, what are you? You're a murderer. Because it's really a heart issue. Before the actions happen, the heart changes. Guys, if our heart is walking with God out of overflowing of a man's heart, a woman's heart, our mouths will speak. And what will come forth is wonderful works of God. We will praise and worship and honor His name. But if we're walking in the flesh, bitterness and self-centeredness and pride and anger will pour out. Again, it's a heart issue that brings about the problem. It's that selfish, prideful desire that results in sinful actions of lust and murder and covetousness. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? When you speak, are you somebody who, when people hear you speak, they know something's different? Or do we get to the job site and check our Christianity at the door? Do we put on our nail bags and take off our Christianity? You know, do we show up in the office and, we, oh, I, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Well, you better hope Jesus comes back to Sunday morning or Wednesday night then. No, you can't be a Christian part of the time. Amen. And when we go wherever we go, we're his kids and our mouths and our hearts and our actions ought to reflect who we belong to. So the pride of worldly wisdom produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. Point number two, it pollutes our prayer life. Look what it says. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. The reason that these fleshly destructive desires exist is because they are not seeking God for their needs. Instead of striving and fighting, we ought to be praying. Amen? Can I encourage you, next time... Something seems totally unfair to you. Say nothing to anyone and pray. Watch what happens. Now, there are times when it's okay for us to speak up. But we need to make sure when we speak up that our attitude and our heart are in the right place. But I, don't, I believe none of us will ever have an issue with God if we don't speak up and we give it to Him instead. 
When you pray and you don't defend yourself and you let God defend you, when God comes through, and He will because He always does, He'll be glorified. And when you fight for yourself and you struggle, and you might win the battle and lose the war because you've blown your testimony. Lord, help us to die to ourselves. He says you don't have it because you don't ask. You don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. One of my favorite prayers, I pray it many times a day, help. That's a good prayer. It really is. You know, you just, you know you're about to just get in your flesh. Lord, help. Help. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm about to do something. Lord, help. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, watch and guard my mouth, my actions, my heart. But notice this. Not only do they not ask, but sometimes they do ask. But look, notice verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. When we get caught up in our flesh, we start praying fleshly prayers. We start telling God what He needs to do for us. Now, am I the only person who's ever done that? You start telling God, okay, God, now, you, know, I, you know, maybe you were asleep, Lord, but here's what's going on right now, and I really need you to come down here and fix this right away. And by the way, here might be a good way for you to do it. And we start telling God, you know what that is? We're asking amiss because we are operating in the flesh. They quoted it today. What did Jesus say as he was about to go to the cross? He said, not my will, but thy will be done. That needs to be our prayer, you guys. In the midst of the most difficult time, we say, okay, Lord, you knew I was going to be here. I'm not going to pray even for you to rescue me from the situation. But Lord, just give me the faith to trust you in the midst of it. Lord, if you want to calm the waves, calm them. And if you want to calm me while the waves keep kicking up, then calm me, Lord. But I trust you. You're my God. I will never walk away from you. I will never doubt you. I trust you as much today as when everything was perfect. You're a faithful God and I love you. You know what? That needs to be our heart, not telling God what he needs to do. Few things nauseate me more than when I turn, and I shouldn't do it. You turn on Christian TV sometimes and you see people commanding God what to do. What kind of God do you serve if you think you know better than Him? Amen? You start telling God. I hear them. Well, you just got to believe and you got to just, you got to command it. You got to have enough faith to believe it. That is garbage. Because God knows best, not me. Amen? And instead of praying, my will be done, guys, we don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to change our hearts. We don't pray to get our will done in heaven, but His will done on earth. As we pray, we're crying out to the creator of the universe. We're saying, Lord, you know what? I don't understand, but I trust you. Lord, you're faithful. But notice it says there, you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, the prayer is polluted. Their life is polluted because they're walking in the flesh, in pride, in self-centeredness. They begin to treat God like a a wish-dispensing genie in the sky, just waiting. He's just waiting there, and you just have to command him, and then he's forced to do it. Man, I praise God. He hasn't answered all the prayers I've prayed. Amen? Have you ever prayed a prayer that he said no to, and you look back and went, whoo. Thank you, Lord. Amen? I'm so glad that he's faithful, and he only answers the prayers, again, according to his will. 
We must remember, again, that prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God, and we shouldn't pray to change His mind, but to conform our hearts to His. Pray for His will. Trust Him. Not about our comfort, but God being glorified. Let me say that again. It's not about your comfort, but God being glorified. Pastor Dave, I didn't sign up for that. I I became a Christian so I could be on the cruise ship to heaven. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because when you go through and look at those being used most mightily by God, they went through trials, didn't they? They went through trials and difficulty. But you know what? For them, it was a joy. Why was it a joy? Because God was using it to impact others for His kingdom. Guys, when we get to heaven, when this time is coming past, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. And guys, if... It's a trial that will bring others to Christ. We need to praise God in the midst of it. Amen? And sometimes we don't fully grasp how God is using it until we get to heaven. Lord, whatever is going to bring the greatest glory to your name, that should be our prayer. Learning to praise and trust God even when he says no. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We don't presume, we don't command, we trust and we follow. And again, how prideful and self-seeking is it that we think we know better than God? Seek His will. Don't tell Him what to do. So does your life reflect godly or worldly wisdom? The pride of worldly wisdom, we see first, it produces quarrels and conflicts and strife with other believers. And then we just saw that it pollutes our prayer life. Our prayer life becomes very self-centered. It's all about me. We start listening to this whole self-esteem and this whole, you know, me first message and I deserve better. And we take that attitude and we bring it to the Lord. Instead of coming broken before Him and thanking Him for what He's already done. Guys, we're going to heaven. Amen? May that never grow common. We were sinners, headed to hell in desperate need of a Savior. Our Savior came, suffered and died, rose from the dead, and gave us eternal life, not because we're good, but because He is. And when, that, when we reflect upon that, it ought to not have us commanding for God to give us more according to our will, but us thanking God for what He's already done. Guys, if we praised Him from now until He returns, we couldn't praise Him enough for what He's already done. Amen? And too often, we get caught up in the way of the world. So we see that it pollutes our prayer life. The third point, it puts us at war with God. Look at verse 4. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The root of every war, internal or external, is rebellion against God. In the beginning, man was in perfect fellowship with God until he rebelled against him. How does a believer declare war against God? We see right here by who he aligns himself with. It says here, friendship with the world is enmity with God. He names three enemies, and the first one here being the world. Friendship with the world leads to being spotted by the world, to a desire for the approval of the world, to a loving of the world, and finally conformity to the world. There's a big movement today in the Christian church for the Christian church to become more like the world so we can reach people. I heard a pastor say, you know what? Go down to the bar and sit in there and get drunk with people and then you can share Jesus with them. Some of these guys on their websites have pictures of themselves drinking beer and, you know, and just, I want to be really, I'm going to be the cool pastor. I want to be just like the world. 
The only problem I have with that is the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? We're not to be like the world. People should look at us and we should be so radically different. They go, what is up with you? Guys, were they attracted to Jesus because he was just like the rest of the world? They came to him because he taught like no one else they'd ever heard before because he was different. Again, we're not to be self-righteous. We're sinners saved by grace. We're not to be arrogant. We should be loving, gracious, merciful, reaching out to people. But again, we should not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. He says at the beginning of that verse, adulterers and adulteresses. Let me tell you what he's talking about. As Christians, who are we married to? Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. In context, what he is saying is those of you who are pursuing the false gods of this world, those of you who are in rebellion against me, you are committing spiritual adultery. That's exactly what he's talking about. Adulterers, adulteresses are those who have friendship with the world and are committing spiritual adultery. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So how do you know if you're a friend of the world? Maybe you're sitting here going, I don't know, am I a friend of the world? Here's some good things to think about. Do you strive for its riches? Do you seek its approval? Do you condone its behavior or even try to imitate it? Do you fit in with the world? Pastor Dave, are you saying to be a Christian, I got to be some, you know, out of control person that just doesn't fit in? Guys, we don't have to be freaks but you know what being a jesus freak's a good thing amen and, and i you know here's a thought if your co-workers had to write down three words about you what would they be if they asked to describe you would one of the first thing they say would be that he or she loves jesus they're a christian they have a passion for god a heart for god if we're conformed to the world the world doesn't see any difference in us if we're not conformed to the world, if we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, the world can't help but see something different in us. And it's not so that we will stand out or that we would be glorified, but that God would be glorified and people would see the hope that lies within us because here's the truth. Your co-workers are hurting. Your neighbors are hurting. They're trying to fill their lives with everything else under the sun. I don't care if they live in a $5 million house and they got the greatest job in the world and their family seems perfect. God created them to have a relationship with Him and if they don't have it, their life is void. It's empty. Something's missing. Why is it the richest people have the highest per capita suicide rate? Because you get all the money, you think that's the source of happiness and guess what? It's not. Happiness is temporary. It's based on your circumstances. But the joy that comes from having an intimate fellowship with God endures forever. The spirit may use the body to glorify God, or the flesh may use the body to serve sin. Look what he says there. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And yet we, again, we have this move today for the church to be more like the world. We should be so radically different from the world in how kind we are. Amen? And how loving we are. Can I encourage you? God's been putting just some of the simplest stuff in my heart. You see someone with a flat tire, pull over and help them. And do it in Jesus' name. 
Amen? Some work, somebody's behind at work. Go help them. That's not my job description. It is, if you're a Christian, amen, our job description is to reach out to those around us, to love people supernaturally, to be a tool in the hand of our master. Verse 5 says, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Again, the second point is, of, of this section here is that our flesh or our old nature, our old nature is, again, it's not just the body, which is neutral, it's the flesh. It's that part within us that strives to live in sinful behavior. And there's this battle within between the flesh and the spirit. And it says in this verse that the spirit yearns jealously. Our God is a jealous God, the Bible says. Not out of control, jealous, like a, a guy who's out of his mind. I'm talking about a jealousy that he desires to have a full relationship with you and have nothing else come before him. That's his desire. Is that your desire for him? Do you desire to make him the priority and the passion of your life? So the enemies of walking with the Lord, number one is the world, number two is our flesh, and number three is the devil. Look at verse six and seven. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Bible tells us we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a liar. He's the ultimate essence of pride. He will tempt you. He will lie to you about the uh, pleasures of the flesh. Satan loves to play on your ego, to puff you up, to encourage you to do it your way. God wants you to be humble. Satan wants you to be proud. Why did Satan get thrown out of heaven? Because he was prideful. Why did Eve eat of the forbidden fruit? Because she was prideful. She'll be like the Most High God. Virtually all sin is centered in pride. And Satan wants to puff up your pride. He wants to talk about how great you are. He wants to make you more and God less. And we see here that Satan is an enemy of the Lord God wants us to depend on grace. Satan wants us to depend on ourselves. And we promote, again, in the Christian church, we need to be magnifying Him and Him alone. Grace and pride are eternal enemies. Do you want God's grace or do you want to walk in pride? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, as I said before. It says in verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Guys, devil can't make you do anything. Amen? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Too often we want to blame the devil for everything. But you know what? Sometimes it's just plain stinking us. Amen? The devil was nowhere near you. And you know, people get all caught up. It's all the devil. They see the devil. Never. Now again, it is a spiritual battle we fight. We don't dismiss the devil's existence. He absolutely does. And he absolutely, I believe, has got you know, two feet planted in Santa Cruz. Amen? But with that being said, is God greater? Does God want to do great things here? And guys, Satan can't make you. The Bible says you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You're, you say, no, I'm not doing that. He runs away. Why? He is defeated. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Now, in verse 7 through 10, 
we're going to see three instructions to having peace with God. The first one he says there is submit to God. This is a military term to line up under order, to give complete and total surrender. It's the only way to have complete victory. If there's any area of life that is kept back from God, there will always be battles. Guys, we come to God and we don't say, okay, Lord, I give you the part of my life that gets me to get out of hell free card. I want that. Let's, let's write that down. Make sure my name's Lamb's Book of Life. Hey, that mansion in heaven thing, I'm down with that. Let's do that. Oh, angels watching over me. Yeah, that's good too. I'll take the angels watching over me. But there's this one part of my life over here that, you know, I, Lord, I really enjoy it. So I'm just, I'll submit all this stuff, but I'm hanging on to this. Guys, that's not repentance. Repentance is giving my life to the Lord completely. Amen? Submitted to Him. Lining up under Him. Who's on the throne of your life? Jesus Christ or you? There's only room for one. Amen? We need to get off the throne and put Him there. He belongs. He'll do a lot better job than you're doing. Amen? When you're on the throne, how's that working out for you? I don't even have to ask. I already know. Not good. Guys, we need to give our lives to Him completely. So, Three instructions here we see to having true peace with God. Number one, submit to God. Then number two, verse eight, says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Man, I love that. I think when the worship set ended, that was part of the prayer. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let me make this really clear. You are as close to God as you want to be. Amen? The Bible says, you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. If you're far from God, who moved? I love the illustration. I read this illustration one time. You know, this couple, older couple that have been married a long time are driving in the car and had a bench seat. And they're driving along, you know, she's pressed up against one door and he's at the other one. And they're driving along and she starts to notice that these younger couples are sitting right next to each other on a bench seat. But she's sitting like right over next to him. And then finally she says, you know, well, how come we don't sit so close anymore? You know what he said? I didn't move. I'm right here. I haven't moved one inch. I'm still here. The same is true of the Lord. Amen. If we're way far away, it's because we moved. We're as close to God. You draw near to God. He will draw near unto you. That's a promise. God doesn't break his promises. You want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit? You want to enjoy intimate fellowship with Him? You draw near unto Him. And His arms are open wide. Come on. I want you to draw near unto me. Salvation involves more than submitting to God and resisting the devil. But it talks about having communion with God. Intimate fellowship with God. Walking with God. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? I mean, do you spend all day with Him? Are you talking with him? I call it, you know, waking up in the morning with prayer and putting God on speakerphone for the rest of the day. Just never hang up, amen? Just all day long walking with him and talking with him and having fellowship with him and every thought that runs through your mind, running it with the Holy Spirit there and the words that come out of your mouth at work and everything you do and how you treat your wife and your children, the Holy Spirit is there. Draw near unto God. He will draw near unto you. Guys, it's time for us to stop trying to live this life by ourselves. 
We will be nothing but brutal failures. It's when we are filled with Him and we walk with Him that we walk in victory and we see great things happen. Amen? Less of us, more of Him. But wait a minute, Pastor Dave, if I give my life to God, He might make me a missionary. I don't want to do that. You know, come on. Guys, can I tell you something? When you draw near to God, any desire He puts in your heart will be a get-to, not a have-to. You'll say, thank you, Lord. Your priorities will change. Your passions will change. What you thought was important before won't be important anymore. What's important is walking with Him. Guys, the closer we get to Him, the more in love we are with Him, and the bolder we're going to be for Him. Amen? Jesus is my best friend, and I'm not ashamed to tell people that. Now, I know that I can walk away from Him in a moment. Lord, keep me near. Constant prayer. Help! Good prayer. Then He says here, Cleanse your hands. I'm only going to go to verse 10 in case you're panicking. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands symbolizes you know, changing the external, and purify your hearts is talking about the internal. Guys, we need to change not only our beliefs, but our behavior. How we are on the inside ought to be impacted on how we act on the outside. Turn away from sin and adultery and go back to God. Double-minded is being torn between God and His enemies. Look what it says there. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Maybe you're here today, you've been a Christian a long time, but you've never truly gone with reckless abandon to serve God with your whole heart. May today be the day that you decide to do that. That you just say, okay, Lord, you know what? I've been tap dancing in the world. That hurts, by the way, doing the spiritual splits. You know, one foot in the kingdom and the other one in the world. Man, that'll tear you up. You don't want to do that. It's better to say, okay, Lord, I give my life completely to you. And Lord, whatever you have for me will be better than anything this world has to offer. And nobody's going to get to heaven and say, man, I should have hung with the world a little longer. Would have been better if I'd done more worldly stuff. And isn't it great how Satan loves to remind you of the worldly stuff and he only reminds you of the good parts? Selective memory of the flesh, right? Yeah, it, was, it was pretty fun to party. Yeah, thinking about partying was pretty fun, man. I enjoyed that. How about the puking in the gutter? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The DUI. Yeah, that was, that was, that wasn't so, losing your job. Yeah, that, yeah, that wasn't a fun. The, the night you spent in jail. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what happens. The flesh lies. Satan lies. He's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. He promises pleasure and he brings death. He brings destruction. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. The double-minded are torn between Christ and his enemies. So submit to God. Draw near to God. Final point, humble yourselves before God. It's possible to submit outwardly and yet not be humbled inwardly. To just go through the motions. To have a religious relationship without really giving your life to the Lord. But the Bible tells us that God loves a humble heart. Look what it says there in verse 9 and 10. It says, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, that's a real uplifting verse. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. We need to come to terms with our sin. And when we do, it ought to bring us to a place of brokenness and weeping. You know, when I get a chance to lead someone to the Lord or someone comes forward after Sunday service, I sense a greater sincerity when there's weeping than when there's laughing. Again, there's a joy in coming to Christ. Amen? 
But there must be conviction before there can be conversion. And when there's conviction, there's a brokenness. There's a gripping in my heart to realize, you know what, I am a sinner. And you know what, I am deserving of hell. But you know what, God loves me and he died for me. Wow. He knew everything I would ever do, everything I've ever done, the secrets I've told no one. He that knows me best loves me most. And ought to bring us to a place where we look at our sin and we can no longer laugh about it, but our hearts are broken by it. That's a sign of somebody who God has really gotten a hold of their heart. And then he says, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Guys, the world says, esteem yourself. The Bible says, deny self. The world says, you know, establish yourself in a great way. Lift yourself up. And the Bible says, you know what? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about mourning over sin for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. God loves a humble heart. He receives brokenness with grace and pride with righteous judgment. Isn't that what you do as an earthly parent? Think about it. If your kids do something wrong and they come in brokenhearted and weeping, you respond with an arm around them and grace. And if they're caught red-handed and they're arrogant and they're denying it, the Board of Education. (laughs) You know, God is so much the same way. When we come broken before Him, He responds with grace. And when we walk around in pride and arrogance, acting like we've done nothing wrong, righteous judgment is coming. He desires that none should perish. No, not one. His offering of salvation is universal and must be accepted individually. But guys, if you've already given your life to Jesus Christ, there's more in store. He doesn't just want you to have a saved soul and a wasted life. His desire is that we would walk in the fullness of His Holy Spirit, that we'd be submitted to Him completely and totally, that our lives would be used for His glory. We must come to the realization that we are spiritually bankrupt and our hearts broken over our sin. Does your life reflect godly wisdom? Does it reflect that you've really been touched by the Lord? Are you like the world, or are you different than the world? So in closing, does your life reflect godly wisdom? Uh, the pride of worldly wisdom we see produces quarrels and conflicts, strife and other, with other believers. Guys, as Christians, we ought not to be bickering fighting and angry amen i know that it's so easy for us to do it hey i'm i'm we're all sinners saved by grace and you know what there's always that response right one of my favorite stories and i i I sound like the hero of the story but i'm going to tell you the whole story okay you know i come around the corner i cut a guy off i totally did it was my fault i looked in the rearview mirror he's chewing on my bumper i realized whoops bad call he pulls up next to me. He's waving signs at me. They're not, not, not nice ones. And I have to confess to you, my initial response was, dude, who do you think, you, do you want me to get out of this car? You know, just being transparent with you. Now, I know no one else has ever thought that. You know, there's that initial response. Who do you think you're, man, I'm in my car. You got no idea. You know, and there's this attitude. But you know what? When that attitude starts to rise up, if we're walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts us. 
And the Holy Spirit says, here's a divine appointment, Dave. You can respond like the world or you can respond like my child. And I roll the window down. And again, I, I don't always do the right thing, so I don't want this to come out wrong. But I looked at him and I said, you know what, sir? I cut you off. It was 100% my fault. Will you please forgive me? The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. You know what he did? Oh, yeah, okay, don't worry about it. You know, it's amazing. You can escalate something into being a fleshly battle, and there'd be a, you know, in the front of the sentinel, you know, Pastor Dave Johnson, Calvary Santa Cruz, beats a guy senseless in the intersection. <laughs> or, 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 we can respond with grace. We, can res- we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. And I, I, you know, I want to tell you, I don't always respond the right way. We don't. But guys, that should be our heart. Let's walk in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's not bring about quarreling and strife with other believers or even with the world. May it not pollute our prayer life as we turn God to a holy genie in the sky and we start commanding Him. Our prayer is not to change God's mind, but to change our hearts. And then lastly, last two things, it puts us at war with God. It separates us from God when we walk in our flesh. And then finally, the path to putting pride to death and enjoying peace with God If that's where you are today, you're you're not walking with Him like you should, submit to God, draw near to God, and humble yourself before God. You're as close to God as you want to be. If you want to be closer, don't leave this place this morning without coming before Him broken and saying, okay, Lord, I give you my life completely. I submit it completely. And you know what? We're coming up on Passion Week. What a great week to not only share our faith in words, but to live it out in front of people. Amen? And may God give us an opportunity to live it in a way that we can tell people about the hope that lies within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship and magnify your most holy name. And Lord, we do come humble and broken before you because, Lord, we know that without you we can do absolutely nothing. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would walk in your Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord, I pray that our lives will be completely submitted to you. Lord, that we thank you for the promise that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Lord, I pray that we would be humble and broken in your sight. Lord, that we would never command you to do anything, but Lord, we'd submit to you completely. And Lord, I just thank you and praise you for the promises in your word, the incredible grace you show us. Lord, break us of our pride. Bring us to the end of ourselves. Hadn't planned on doing this, but just in a moment, if you're here today and you really feel like the Lord was convicting you during this message, that you really need to just fully submit to the Lord. You're already a Christian, but you need to submit to Him. You need to make Him the priority of your life. You you want to draw near unto Him. If that's your desire, I just want you to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Anybody here at all? God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you. Lord, you see those who are standing. Lord, you know their hearts. Father, I pray and ask in Jesus' name, Lord, as they desire to draw near unto you, we thank you for the promise that you are drawing near unto them even now. Lord, help them to submit to you completely, to give every aspect of their lives unto you. And then, Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, less of us and more of you. And then, Lord, as we walk in the fullness of your Spirit, may we reflect you 
to a lost and a dying world. Lord, bless those who are standing for you. Help them, Lord, not to just stand here this morning. Lord, to stand for you throughout the week. Lord, to live for you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship.